0: As I've been doing this, uh, this little series uh, on Genesis, it has just struck me, number one, that I haven't, haven't shared a whole lot of these. I've shared what I'm going to share with you today before over the 10 years I've been with you, but, but so much I haven't like, gone through like we're going through, and there's so much there to know and to understand, but it's foundational stuff is what makes it so important. It's the stuff on which you build other things, and that's what makes it so important. And so today, everything's a first in Genesis. So today, we're going to talk about the first, uh, the first wedding, if you will, or the first marriage. And 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 obviously, with that, you have to remember that God instituted this thing we call marriage. And so we learn from Him what it's supposed to be. You know, you will. Uh, it is one thing that that our uh, culture will sit up and take notice with, because you know our our culture is looking for things to succeed. Our culture is looking for happiness. Our culture is looking for something to fill empty voids. And one of the, one of the great failures in our culture is marriage. And so, and so a lot of people are asking a lot of questions. That's why you go into any bookstore. Of course, bookstores are disappearing fast, but uh, go online and you will find a glut of material on marriage because everybody's offering an answer, you know, and so many times it's so interesting that so much of the material contradicts one another. You know, because Dr. Fluffy Head number one thinks different from Dr. Fluffy Head number two. And so they just don't, you know, they don't agree. And then where do you come? Well, the most important part is, is not, you know, is not painting the ship. The, the greater question is, is the integrity of the hull. That is the foundation. That is what's below the water level. Yeah, you can paint things and make them look better, make you even feel better. But are they better? And so, so some real tough things, um, and you'll see those today. It's very straightforward today, and uh, it's definitely not politically correct today, okay? Uh, you'll see that in just a minute. But I do want you to see it. I do want you to see what it says. It's not overly in-depth, I have found, and that's a passion of mine. I have found that most of the truth in the scripture is very simple. Therefore, I love exposing simple truth because that is what you can grow the most from. Rarely does God make it complicated because he wants everybody to understand and to get it, especially in this area of marriage. And it is, it is, it is simple but not easy. That's where. The, that's the other part. Remember, it is simple to understand, but it is not always easy to do. You'll see that today too. So, of all these things that you see, I want to jump right into it. We come to this time, of uh, uh, in the creation story, uh, this thing called this thing called marriage. And uh, and I want number one. I want to talk to you about the miracle. Okay, the miracle of marriage and how God constituted the very first one. And then you'll find through that, you'll find some other neat things. So let's take a look, if you will, at Genesis chapter, uh, at Genesis chapter 2, okay? Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verse 15. And I found it incredible that, you know, this week, it, it's so important that you were, that you were here last week. You, you'll be fine understanding a lot of what we're going to do. But the reason I've chosen to do the one on marriage today is because of I wanted last week to be fresh on your mind. If you were not able to be here last week, make sure that you go online, okay? And if you still have a CD player, we have CDs, right? And if you'd like to, because I can't tell you how important, you'll see what I mean by it, because kind of a little section of what we're doing when we're talking about oneness Will will relate, you know, very much to last week. You'll see it when we get to it. So, um, so anyway, the, the, take a look. The miracle, the miracle of marriages, and and Genesis chapter two, verse fifteen. Okay, so the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, just a side note here. Okay, notice here that. Sin had not come into the world and messed everything up. We're going to talk about that next week. I want you to understand the reason things fall apart. I want you to see the reason struggles are with you. I want you to see the reason that sometimes those thoughts come into your mind and you wonder, where did that come from? I want you to see some of those things. That's next week. okay? But here's one of them I want you to see, is that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? work work is not a curse all right you may think it a curse but it is not a curse it is it is there for you you were made for it it's just that sin messed it up right there's something about working that makes us feel real good cuz god made you to work some of us overdo it and our entire life is about work that's not right but neither is shirking it or trying not to do any, so work was intended, and this is not a message on work, all right, but I just couldn't pass it. Notice Adam was working before the world fell into sin, right? and so don't don't blame that work is a curse because it is not But anyway. imagine if you could work and everything you did succeeded and everything and everything was progress, all oh, then, then work would be awesome, would it not? I'd be gung-ho ready to go, all right, every day. So, uh, so, again, we'll talk about that next week. I can't tell you how important next week is, too. But anyway, I keep saying that every week, but it is. It all has these incredible pictures. We've got to move on. All right. And the Lord God commanded uh, the man, saying this, uh, You surely uh, may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day in that you eat it, you shall surely die. We'll talk about that next week. Okay. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Helper is companion. That's the word for for companion, among other things. But here's the thought. Uh, Take a look at the the first. It says, then the Lord God says what? It is not good. But remember, up to this point, if you read through the scriptures, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And when God saw it, He's, and he said that it was good, and you keep down through, and then God created what you know whatever, and then when he saw it, you know it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, but right here in the creation story, God says it's not good, okay it's not good for him to be alone. this is not who we meant him to be, this is not who we created him to be, so there's something really really pretty incredible about this thought. Okay. And I want you to see there, it says, I will make, it's the word for create. I will create. And so when you begin to see these things, you'll see it all put together. Um, and, and when you see it in its entirety, it it is, it is pretty, it is pretty amazing. Okay. Now let's, let's move on and then you will come back to it in just a minute. Uh, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to, uh, to, see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So God, you know, God gave, God gave, God gave mankind a mind, a good mind, uh, created in his, in, in, God's image with the ability to do these type things. And, and obviously men and women down through the ages have been doing that as they've named streets and named cities and named other things. It, it just is, it's, just, it's, an incredible thing to have that created within us. And so, you know, Adam's walking along and there's just huge animal with this big long neck. And that's gotta be a draft because that just is what it's supposed to be called, right? I don't know how that worked. I wasn't there, but you know, and, skunk, you know, what else can you call a skunk? You know, and just thinking out loud, hippopotamus. Yeah, it's just what it is. Hippo. So again, you take a look at these things and it, it, you know, again, that just becomes this incredible picture of different things. All right, let's continue. Uh, See, we were calling whatever man, that's what that name was. A man gave names to all livestock, birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. Look at this. But for Adam, there was not a helper or a companion fit for him. Okay? So what was going on here? Well, Adam was definitely picking up on it that, you know, for every, you know, Mr. Giraffe, there was, you know, there was a Mrs. Giraffe. Right? And for every Mr. Skunk, there was a Mrs. Skunk. You know? And for every Mr. Hippo, there was a Mrs. Hippo. And, but she didn't want to be called that, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> so anyway, but there was not a companion fit for him. Why? Because God created him different. We talked about that last week. He was created in the image of God with body, soul, and spirit. We talked about that it was all last week. and therefore there was there was there was nothing in creation that was that was that was hit, that would be with would be be him part of him so so this is what god did so god so sister the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall on man and it says while he slept he took one of his ribs so this is the first surgery everything's the first in genesis right and that rib he's taken and it says that he created therefore he created and but but added part of so that they would there would be a connection. It's a cool thing to think about. There's so much cool stuff to this. And it says and, and it says and he made, he created a woman. It says, and look what he did. It says that he brought her to to Adam, to the man. Now, if you've ever wondered, okay, if you've ever been in a wedding, okay, if you've ever been in a wedding, I've done literally hundreds. And um, and I, I you know it's just it's just one of those things and it's usually always kind of the same way you know I stand up here uh, with with the guy standing there right the groom and he's almost always you know doing you know doing this and it's hysterical you know I've watched him for years and so and then musical play everybody will stand and and then the, and then the father will bring bring the bride down ya you ever wondered why most time all we have is traditions left and nobody knows why we do what we do anymore why because god created a bride for adam and brought her to him so when you have a wedding it's the same concept dad brings i mean you don't have i mean you don't have i mean I better not say this or it's going to start happening, but you don't have a mom, bring a son down the aisle. All right. This is all right. But, but you understand again, but the problem with traditions is that we all still do them, but very few of us ever know why we do them. And so you've lost the truth that's in them when you have nothing more than that left. I'll bring that back up again at the very end, because there's some neat pictures here, uh, that, uh, that you need to see. So So obviously God brought, the father brought Eve to Adam and then we had our first wedding, right? First wedding, you know, they, you know, they played the wedding march, right? And then God brought and, uh, and then, you know, and all the, everything, no, no, it was probably a little bit different, but it's the same picture. So, so what happens is, you know, Adam is, Adam is standing there and this is what he says when Eve is brought to him, verse 23. And then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of a man. And it's like, Adam, is that all you could come up with? Y'all know what I'm saying? Is that, but you have to understand, it, it's, it, looks like a, it feels like a Shakespearean play. That's why, that's why reading, sometimes reading the old King James can be tough because, because it's an outdated language it's old English and it almost sounds like that the characters in the Bible were, were Shakespearean, you know, and you know, you know, but it was real stuff. So let me, let me translate a little bit for, for Adam here and what he really said, because it is an exclamation. It's not just a statement, you know, of, of poetry. It's, it's basically, this is, it was, it was an exclamation. It was, it was basically saying this, Oh wow, she's like me. You gotta remember, he's been traveling around. Giraffes, gunks, hippos, right? And so, wow, she's like me. God, that's awesome. And then he looked again and it's like, wow, she's not totally like me. I like that even better. (laughs) That's kind of what he said. All right. So it's better. It's better when you have it translated into language. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. That sounds like something I would have said. So So you get then this picture that he's real excited at last, he says. He gets he's real excited because because God said it wasn't good, and then and then and God made it good. And so you have this incredible picture. I want you to think about this miracle. That's why I called it the miracle marriage. You have this incredible. Think about, think about how how much of a leg up these guys had this first this first marriage, you know, there was no sin in the world, right? There were no bad thoughts. There was no selfishness, not yet anyway. And so, but also there were some other things, you know, you know, if, you know, if Eve looked back at Adam and, you know, said, do you love me? And he could say, well, who else? (laughs) All right. And I want you to know that never, never, okay, did Eve have to put up with Adam's saying, well, my mom didn't do it that way. <laughs> see, see, they were way ahead. They were way ahead, you know? I just love just some thoughts like that, just to, to look ahead. And, and when you think about this incredible picture without the, the ugliness, you know, it, it really is kind of neat. That's why I call it the miracle of marriage. Now, number two, it's what I'm going to call a message for marriage. Okay? The message for, or a message for marriage. And then God here in verse 24 gives us a one-verse commandment. This was way before any of the Ten Commandments obviously came out. This was a one-verse, if you will, teaching on marriage at its foundation. And I just want to take just a few minutes to go through it with you. Because there's a lot to learn today, because what is what is marriage's foundation, what is it God obviously here's the picture, and then and to me, I don't know that there's any other greater truth on marriage than this one, and the knowledge and also the knowledge of what we're going to talk about next week okay and so so let's take a look at it it's a therefore therefore the therefore is to is to sum up everything that has just happened. It says, therefore, it says, a man shall leave father and mother and hold fast. I do like the translation of, of, um, of the old King James there. It says cleave, hold fast, cleave. Therefore, father and mother, shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The two will become one. Now, so there's three things here. And down through the ages, there's been an outline for this passage that, especially in the English language, has been used. And it's, and it's leave, cleave, and weave, right? Which is pretty good, right? One, two, and three. That's what we want to talk about here underneath this thought is leave, cleave, and weave. So what does God say here, which is foundational to have a marriage? right? Number one is is leave. Leave father and mother. Okay, well, what does that mean? Um, And I want you to to hear because once I start talking about this, everybody is going to say, oh, wow, that is exactly right. Leaving father and mother, you have to understand that in, in a home, in a good home, where parents take their role seriously, okay, of and the responsibility that has been given them to, to rear children. You have to remember that, that the responsibility also comes the authority. You know, you look at another human being and say, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going there. No, or yes, you can, or whatever, whatever. Therefore, it's an authoritative relationship. Now, remember, this is not always easy to swallow, but it is the truth when you read this passage is that the parenting role was never intended to be a permanent role. Okay. Now you're always their father and mother, but that doesn't mean you're always in charge. It is a, it is a temporary role. Some parents really struggle with that, right? They really struggle because they love their children. They don't want their children messing up and they don't want, and therefore Sometimes it's, it's hard for a parent to let go, and sometimes it's hard for a child to let go. But I want you to know that it, both authoritatively and emotionally, you have to remember, especially in the role of children and their mom, not saying that dad's not existent because that's not the truth, but there's, I don't know that there's any tenderer relationship in our world uh, than a mom and her children, especially a mom who, who makes her children a priority. So sometimes it's really hard emotionally to let go. But I want you to understand this, is that make a commitment that the goal of your parenting is for your children to leave. Sounds strange, but staying is not an option, right? I had my little girl right day before yesterday and look at me and say 35 more days. And, and what's in 35 days. That's when she goes off to college. That'll be our last one. And that doesn't mean she still isn't under our authority because she is, because we're still writing a check. Right? So, but it does mean that she's itching to kind of get on her own. And that's not always a bad thing. In fact, that's a positive thing. In fact, if it doesn't show up, it can be unhealthy. Sure. But it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. But this is what God teaches us: that you didn't raise them to stay; you raised them to leave, and yet you you don't want them to leave, and yet staying is not an option. So it's a tough one. But sometimes we get messed up in this and want to still be that role in their lives, or even worse, they still want you to be that role in their lives. I have one who's married. Uh, in, in, among our four children and I sat down with them before, before, the, before, the, before they got married I said listen to me I said um, I want you guys to know that we love you and that okay we are not going to give you any advice unless you ask now if you ask you're going to get it all Does that make sense? But if you don't ask, I'm not saying a word. And you've heard of the 11th commandment. Parents, keep your mouth shutteth. (laughs) If you want that home, and I tell you what, it's not been easy. Because I, like when Martha and I first got married. Because they've made mistakes. And if they'd asked, they could have not made that mistake. But I tell you what, sometimes it really, really helps to learn the hard way, right? And so I don't know, there's something about that, that the whole authority and emotional structure changes when you leave, when someone, when they get married. And so that's the way it needs to be, or you can never cleave to your spouse if you've let, not left your parents. Let it sink in. Okay, Let it sink in. It just won't happen. Also, you know, I have done just so many premarital counseling. Also, you know, I always use this, this, this outline when I do premarital counseling because it's foundational, right? And whenever I've said, well, you know, you're leaving your father and mother, and invariably one of them will say to me, Oh, well, that's not going to be a problem with me. I can't stand my parents. And I always like to say to them, no, you'll have a harder time leaving than someone who has a good relationship with their parents. Because when you marry your wife or husband, you have to cut the apron strings, but you also have to cut the cords of all the baggage you're carrying. And there's no hurtful or heavier baggage than parental baggage. You will never be able to cleave to another if you've not left. Does that make sense? So it goes both ways. It's not just those who, oh, mom, I don't want to leave you. No, it's those who, who bristle and get angry at the very thought of mom and dad. You got to get over those things. If you're going to truly unite to someone else, you'll just carry that stuff with you and recreate it all in this new home that you're starting. It is an amazing thing to think about. When you think about this one incredible statement, leave, cleave, and weave, leave father, and mother, cleave to wife, two will become one flesh. It, is an, it is, has incredible wisdom to it when you stop long enough to see what it's talking about. Interesting. So leave father and mother. And number two is cleave, to unite. If leaving is emptying the cup, cleaving is filling it back up. Okay? And so when you look at these two, there's a... I'm, I'm, you know, when I do the wedding ceremony, there's... Every once in a while, I don't ever do it during the ceremony because I'm afraid I'd get in trouble. But in the, in the rehearsal, right... You know, I'm, I'm with this bride and couple and this bride and, and, and groom. And, um, and we practice, you know, and dad walks the, the daughter down. And and, uh, and so I'm going through the ceremony so everybody knows where to stand, you know, at the rehearsal. And, and, and I said, and I always tell them, hey, here's what I'll say. I'll say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And usually dad, it's different for everyone. But the traditional way is for dad to say her mother and I right? And, I say, and I'll and i tell him, I'll say, okay, you'll, you'll say, and he'll say, her mother and I, I said, join their hands. And I said, and you go sit down there and you will forever be out of the way. <laughs> See, I can't say that at the wedding, but I almost always say it at the rehearsal. And that's not just for a joke. It's also to say, hey, listen, this couple is has got to be able to, to, do, to do those things. And, and the less you, you, you butt in, the more opportunity they're gonna have. Some of the hardest things to me is, you know, I'll tell you what I think, but in the end, you're gonna to have to do. You know, you're gonna to have to do that. It's an interesting thing to leave, but then also to cleave to another. And that's a, that becomes a process. You know, every once in a while, you know, I think our, some of our biggest struggles today is, especially in our culture, is, and all of us have this, is just, is just selfishness. The inability to cleave or unite with another has a lot to do with, with being self-focused and self-centered. We, we are a culture of self-focused and self-centered. and yet, And yet marriage, by its very nature, is you have to be selfless in order for it to work. Isn't that something? And we wonder why it's failing in our culture. Because it's an institution. You see, God never wants you to be self, selfish or self-centered any more than good parents want their their children to be selfish. So there's a process of teaching you to be selfless. Marriage is on the, is on the hit list, right? Um, I've always said, I love this statement. I love saying it is that God as our heavenly father doesn't want us to be self-centered. And so to teach us not to be selfish, uh, he allows us to get married. <laughs> right. And then he gives us children to finish us off. <laughs> right? So two of the most important things that come into your life really are training to teach you from being self-centered. And the inability to cleave is usually because there's selfishness, because you can't unite with another when it's all about you, right? That's why we do a disservice to our children when we teach them and raise them thinking, you know, it's all about you whatever makes you happy. And we wonder why they struggle and can never leave. Right? So as we put all these things together, right, let's just talk about the two because we've, we've got to move. We've got to move is, is when you think about Leave and, and, and cleave, you know, there was an old, old, uh, uh, survey done and they spent lots and lots of money on it on marriage, married couples. And they interviewed 300,000. If you know anything about surveys, that is a huge sample. And they wanted to find out different things about marriage and different things. And, and after 300,000 of them, they released their, I think it was Better Homes and Gardens, or one of them like that. And, but it was, again, this, we're not talking about 25 years ago, but the results would still be the same today. And they released their findings, and they found the two greatest problems in marriage. I could have saved them millions of dollars, <laughs> right? And here are the two major problems in marriage. Number one is immaturity. And number two is self-centeredness. Selfish. Immaturity is fail- failure to leave. Selfishness is failure to cleave, just like God said it. Isn't that incredible? It is who he's called us to be. You know, it truly does mean, which brings us to number three, which is I call weave. And that's the process of what happens when you are truly leaving and cleaving. There will be a, an interweaving. That's what it says: shall leave father and mother, cleave to the wife, and the two will become one flesh. This whole concept of one plus one equals one, it's a hard concept to totally understand. There is a mystery about it, and we'll look at that at the very end. There is a mystery that happens. But I want you to know that God says the goal for your marriage, if you want to be his follower, okay, if you want to follow his book, his goal for your marriage is oneness. Two being one. You know, I've heard people say, well, when I get married, I don't want to lose my identity. I said, well, then don't get married. Because if two are going to be one, you're going to lose who you are. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because it's what God's called it to be. Because when I don't want to lose myself, that becomes a self-centeredness, then it's all about you and it's never going to work anyway. Isn't that interesting? Two become one. That is God's goal, oneness. Oneness. Okay, Jeff, how do you get there? What does that even look like? Well, that's why being here last week was so important. We found out last week and that's why I'd really encourage if you're interested more in what we're talking about today, make sure you listen to last week. Last week, we talked about in the way that you were made, that you were created, there are three parts of you, okay? God created you in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. This is, this is all last week, okay? With our body, which is basically the house that the true, the true you really lives in, right, It allows you to be aware of the world around you with sense, touch, seeing, all those things, right? So body, okay, soul, mind, will, and emotions, and spirit, that part of you that is the deepest part of who you are, the ability to understand and know who God, the God who created you was the reason you were created. So there are three parts of you. So it just makes sense to me. That if God's called you to be one with another, that you ought to be one in these three areas. If that's who you are, if the two really become one, right? So number one is body. Okay, well, we all know what that means, right? That's not a tough one. Um, In fact, you know, that that type of, of oneness, the sexual relationship, is something that God created for husband and wife to be one physically. But remember, that is the shallowest part of who you are. Therefore, any relationship that is only based on the sexual is extremely shallow and will never last. Why? Because this is just the house that I live in. It's not even really who I am. Therefore, just simply a physical relationship is bound to failure no matter how much the movies and the media pump it up as being so exciting and whatever else. Does that make sense? Also too, I want to share with you a truth that's not going to be easy to hear because our culture is extremely guilty in this area and has done everything they can to try to dissuade it. But I want you to understand that God created sexual oneness for marriage. I mean, duh, right? He attached the creation of children to it and everything else. So It just makes sense that anybody that uses this physical oneness outside of marriage would experience destruction in their own lives. Guys, I know it may not be easy to hear, but it is the truth. Oh, you're just a religious one. But is that what it says? Now, if you're not a believer and you say, I don't believe that, well, then fine. But if you say you are and you say you believe his word and you want to follow it, then this is what it teaches. And it does make sense, and it is the truth. Body oneness is just part of a marital concept. And even within marriage, if that's all you care about, you're in trouble. Because it's the shallowest point, part of who you are. Interesting. But oneness, I find it incredible. God's goal is oneness, therefore physical oneness. Number two is what I call soul. You know, we are so different, men and women. I don't care what Dr. Fluffyhead says. Environment doesn't make us, we are made different. Now, here's something for you to write down. We were made different so that we might be one. But our world is trying desperately to make us the same, and we are not the same. We were made different so that we might be one. I just want you to think about it a minute. And yet our world tells us, oh, well, if you took a boy and, and put him in a ponytail and bows and gave him a doll, that he would become a girl. It's just not the truth. I don't know if you've had children. I have. I found most of the time Dr. Fluffyhead has never had children. He's only studied them, right? But if you live with them every day and you watch them grow up, you find out that there's differences between little boys and little girls, okay? Rarely did I have one of my little girls take a toy and hit another child over the head with it in nursery at church. (laughs) I had a son that did that, but I never had a daughter do that. (laughs) Also, I have girl, girl, boy, girl, So my son was surrounded by girls, two older sisters, you know, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, until he grew up enough to where he found out he could say no and didn't have to do that. But I can't tell you how many times he's been the groom in the wedding. Why? Because when you have two older sisters, girls always not always but most of the they just are infatuated with the the whole wedding and dress and the whole thing and so christopher from the time he was a little guy bless his heart he was made to be the groom being the only boy in the family and how many weddings right but once he found out he got old enough to be able to say no i can't tell you how many differences i've seen through the years you know Girls were much more verbally proficient. I mean, they could explain, and it was real important to them to share what they were thinking, what they were feeling. I don't know, Christopher was different, you know? In the early years, most of what came out of his mouth were noises. (laughs) Car sounds, you know, or a bulldozer, or a whatever, It just is incredible, guys. God made us different, not that one's better than the other. But remember this: He didn't call He didn't He called you to complete one another, not to compete against each other. And when you turn any relationship into a competition, it's going to fail. Because in a competition, someone always loses. And if the two truly are one, then you both lose pretty amazing, huh? A lot of truth here in this passage. A lot of it you may not want to hear. But as you think about this, and guys, this isn't condemnation time. If you failed, maybe you failed a lot in some of these areas, in the sexual part or other part. Let me tell you what is. Don't beat yourself up. Just know that I've gotten the truth. Now, Lord, I want to do it your way and start from here. This is not a condemnation time. This is a truth time because the culture is preaching you something totally different. But when you think about two becoming one soul-wise, you're talking about mind. Mind coming together with one mind in the way we think and sharing who I am, sharing what I think. And Martha and I, especially in the early years, we would talk and I would say, wow, you really think that? And, and it was like, Well, we sure are different, you know? And I can tell you this compatibility, I believe is a myth. I really do. Incompatibility. Because there is not a more incompatible couple than Martha and I. I mean, I'm serious. There's not even, I mean, at 845, her head starts swaying and, and she's out on the couch, you know, asleep. She's up at five. I'm the exact opposite. I'm I'm reading, looking, watching, whatever, until probably one most every night. And then I'm, I'm not getting up at five. <laughs> and so every little thing is different, the things that we like, things that we don't like. And I've remembered through the years, because what happens is if, if you want to get to know someone and to grow together, then you want to do some of the things they like. So I remember in the early years taking her to the theater, you know, because she loves theater. Theater is a big thing to her music a lot of things like that. And that's not, that's not men and women. That's just two different things. Okay. Because there's a lot of men that are, obviously we've seen them that are great musicians. So I'm not talking about men and women here. I'm just talking about the sheer difference between Martha and I. And I remember, I remember, cause I don't have, I, 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 I kind of got left out on, on the artistic gene part and, and Martha got a lot of it. And my son's very artistic. And so, and, and music and other things. So So what I'm saying is, is that, but what happens is you either compete against one another. Well, you know, you can go to the theater. All right. Why don't you take some friends, you know, or you can say, hey, let me take you. And you do it together. And I tried, guys. I went to that thing, Phantom of the Opera, the first one I went to. I've never been in my life. And I took her, and she was so excited, got all dressed up. You know, I got as dressed up as I could. And we show up at this, this theater, and I'm actually excited. I actually tell a buddy on the phone I'm excited. Hey, yeah, yeah I'm excited. I'm taking Martha. And, and he didn't say anything. And so I show up. It's Phantom of the Opera, and here we are. And, and so I'm on the edge of my chair, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this the old college try. I love my wife, and I'm taking her something she loves. <sighs> And I am I'm, I'm on the edge of my chair trying to, to catch this. And, and first of all, I look over, I said, do they sing through the whole thing? <laughs> it, you know what I'm talking about. If, if you'd ever been there, the light, I mean, you think they may sing a couple of songs, but they have dialogue. No, they sing through the entire thing. And so, which is even hard for me to kind of pick up on the words. And so I'm still trying. And, and so I'm, I, you know, I'm watching, trying to catch on to some sort of a plot and, and I'm like, I, I don't get this. I, I'm not getting any of this. And then I look over and she's got a tear coming out of one eye and I'm like, well, I got, stop, stop. Can you rewind this? I missed it. I, Maybe I coughed or something. I don't know, but I just—it's it's just not. I mean, and yet I have learned through the years. I still go because she loves it, and I have learned to really appreciate it. I don't understand it all the time, but I've learned to really appreciate. It. So there's part of me that has really grown because I'm with her. Because he makes us different, that he might make us one. Not just in the male-female was, but but in many ways, and so. I don't know. Mind, will, will are your choices. Choices of what you're going to do. How you're going to spend your money, right? You need to have lots of conversations in order to be one. And sometimes it takes a lot of conversation to get on the same page in these areas. Especially finances, which winds up being one of the greatest problems in marriage. I never have and nor ever will recommend separate checking accounts. I, think you, I don't think you ought to hide money from the other one. I think you ought to battle it out. Oh, Jeff, what are you talking about? Well, that's how you become one. When you got two people on, on two totally different pages, you got to get on the same page and it takes work. Oh, well, let's just have sex. That's easy. I tell you what. Eventually, that will become a nightmare if you're not one in other places. Sex becomes a narcotic to make you feel better about your relationship for a little while if you don't work at the hard part. Am I making sense to you here? Oneness is, is so much more than just the physical part. Mind, will, emotions, how you feel. I still look and say sometimes, I don't get it. But at least I've gotten to the point now that I recognize... I understand that I don't understand, right? And just accept the fact that's who you are, and we're gonna and we're gonna ro- we're gonna roll with it. And 28 years into it, and I have some of you will tell me, hey, wait "Another 20 years? Okay, great." But at least 28 years into it, Martha and I have very little conflict now because we had a whole lot at the beginning. And with us, it was different because I'm more of the. And I can run over, you know. But I found that, what good does that do? Because if I hurt the other one, I'm just hurting myself. Why? Because we're one. Guys, if my goal is to win the argument, when I win, I lose. I just want you to see it. It's a whole new way of looking at things, especially according to this culture, but it is, it is the scripture. It is what it teaches about marriage, body, soul, right? And then mind, will, emotions, body, soul, being one body, one soul, and then one spirit. That is our personal relationship with the Lord. I have found that there is no greater intimacy. You haven't, you don't even know what intimacy is until you've headed towards oneness in all three of these areas. You know, the the second one takes real work. The third, if both of you are believers and have a desire to follow who God's called you to be, rarely do you have many disputes on that level because you've got the same father. And it gives you strength to do the other. And after years of following the Lord together and being, trying to be selfless, in these mind-willing emotions, all of a sudden you wake up after lots of years and say, you know, I really do love you. I mean, I said it the day we were married, but I didn't even know what I meant that day. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so what happens, this becomes, but you don't hear these things. I mean, my gosh, you have sex therapists that try to, oh, jeez. It's just like rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic, right? Well, let me tell you how this can make this better. Yeah, for maybe the short term, but it doesn't help anything. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't get you on the right track. It's an incredible thing, an absolutely incredible thing the way God made it. And when you get on board with that. Number three, and we've got to be done, all right, but the meaning of it. There's something incredible here. Take a look at Ephesians. Can you send me to the Ephesians 5 passage? And I'm going to give you just some verses. I'm going to let you go. I want us to kind of leave the marriage part and see that this is not just an institution. God is not just giving us an institution of marriage just because for the fun of it. God's got, God's got a meaning, a hidden meaning in it. Jeff, you always say that. Is that really true? Take a look at Ephesians 5. Now, in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. We've got to skip a lot of that, but I'd encourage you to read it. And skip down, if you will, uh, to chapter, uh, same chapter, and take a look now if it were, uh, in verse uh, 31. It says, um, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. So this is just a direct quote from Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, what does Paul say next? Look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. What mystery of how you can take two people and make one of them? But it's a whole lot more than that. That's just the marriage thing. This mystery is profound. What mystery? And I'm saying that it, it what? Marriage. Man, leave father in love, cleave the wife to become one flesh. Marriage. I'm saying it's profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Oh. Oh. Well, we've learned through the years that The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, right? Right? Okay. I want you to think about that for a second. Who's the church? Anybody know? You are. It's not churches. It's not denominations. It's not religion. It's you. It's not buildings. It's not any of those things. It's you. If you are a true believer here today, then you are part of a bigger body called the bride of Christ in this metaphor. And he makes it clear that that's what we're talking about. That one, way, one day we'll be united with him. Now, at the very beginning, just about done. At the very beginning, I had you read the passage where it said that God, Father, went off and, and made, created Eve Eve. And brought her. In that first wedding. You know in the book of Revelation. We still have enough time to turn to it. It talks about. At the second coming. Really at the rapture of the church. Is that. that They'll come to get. The bride of Christ which is us. And there'll be what they call the marriage feast. Or the marriage supper. right, Of the lamb afterwards. There's just not enough time to tell you all about it. But. The references are uncanny when you look at it here. And Paul says straight out, I'm here to tell you that man leave father and mother cleave the wife to become one flesh refers to Christ in his church. He said it. So there's something to learn there that's pretty incredible. All I know is there's coming a day when the last person comes to know Christ and completes the making of the bride of Christ and then it will be done. For those of you who have ears to hear, then he'll return. It could happen today. It could happen in the service. The last person down through the ages is, is God has been making, if you will, creating the bride for his son like he created Eve, and brought, him, brought her to Adam, created Adam, and then created Eve, brought him to, and the two became one. It's, oh, the whole thing's pretty cool to me, for those of you who have ears to hear that's not close. I've got to stop, okay? My incredible problem is over-preparation, all right? But, uh, but I just want you to see these things, because they truly are remarkable when you begin to see foundational stuff because everything else is built upon them and guys let I me mean, that's why a marriage is between a man and a woman I mean I don't mean that ugly I'm not political statement and I'm not saying it's because it's my opinion it's just it's what the scripture teaches and if it's any other thing it's not a marriage and so when you put all this together you begin to see the incredible truth behind it Amazing. i got to stop, 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 stop. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming today. If you want to know what it means to be his, right, then uh, there'll be some people up here afterwards that would love to talk to you. All right. Let's all go ahead and stand. Let's all stand. I'm headed to the guest reception. If you are a guest with us today, I know we have quite a few of you, please stop by and and I'd love to greet you and shake your hand and uh, say hello to you. All right. God bless you. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great uh, rest of your weekend. Dave, why don't you close this?